$167,000. I'll settle for one dance with Domino. Can you play any other tune? Something we're making for the Americans. It's called a ghetto blaster. May I cut in? It's a charming tune. Hello and welcome to the 007th episode of Bond Music 6 The Best. We have to do the 00 gag for the 7th episode. It's a contractual thing for every Bond-related podcast. Anyway, this is the next episode in our ongoing series discussing the Bond movie soundtracks. And yes, we've given up counting how many this is overall. Oh, the numbers get so confusing on the show, but I'm your host, Jared Albrecht, the art sale artist. And I want to introduce my co-host and best friend in life. Mr. Alan J. Porter. Welcome back, Alan. Thank you, Jared. It's great to be back and talking 007 again. Again, on the 007th episode. Yeah. There you go. Well, here's how it works on the show for Six of the Best. We include a discussion of the movie, mainly around its theme song, and then we alternate who takes lead. I think Alan has lead this time, which means that after we get through the theme song and overall discussion, he's going to give us three of his favorite tracks from the Never Say Never Again score. And then I will follow that with three of my favorite tracks from the Never Say Never Again score. And then at the very end, Alan's going to give us a bonus track. So much to keep up with. We'll break it down for you. This month, it's time to suck in our stomach, shake the dust off the toupee, and address the court-mandated shenanigans of Thunderball 2, Spectre Strikes Back, or as it's better known, Never Say Never Again. Okay, Alan, what do you got for us on the soundtrack overall? Well, once again, we need to give a shout out to John Burlingame and his excellent book, The Music of James Bond, where uh, a lot of this background information comes from, plus a little bit of additional research I did here and there across the internet and even a couple of other books as well. But uh, at the end of the day, it all comes back down to John Burlingame's Music of James Bond. So monthly reminder, if you have not yet bought a copy, go out and buy a copy. And you can see where we cribble our notes from. Nice. So according to John's book, one of the fun things about the many fun things about Never Say Never, and by the way, if you want to listen and find out all about the legal shenanigans going on behind the movie, I I recommend that you listen to the episode that Van Allen Plexico and I did around the movie and the review of the movie, which we talk about some of the background to it. But according to John's book, nobody bothered to actually think about the music for this actual production during actual production. Nobody thought about it during the, the making of the movie even though there are actually several key scenes that are based around dance and music, they didn't think about actually hiring a composer while they were filming it. It was only once it actually got into post-production that they were like, I guess we need somebody to do the music. So it went into post-production of in the late spring of 1983, just six months before the projected release date. So they had six months to basically find a composer and somebody who would score it. They initially approached John Barry and he politely declined which basically is a Britishism for F off. <laughs> Usually when it says that anybody politely declines something. But basically he wanted to be loyal to Eon. But as a side note, if you really want to see what John Barry would have done with this, there is actually an excellent rework of the movie or in certain sequences of the movie on YouTube, redone in traditional Eon style with the gun barrel opening and a John Barry score over it, particularly of the pre-credit sequence. So if you want to see what a John Barry score to Never Say Never would have looked like, you can go on YouTube and get a taste of that, which is pretty cool. I will make sure it is in our YouTube playlist in the show notes. So uh, their first choice to actually uh, score Never Say Never after John Barry turned them down was James Horner, probably best known around this time for the excellent Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. Uh, great movie, great soundtrack. And depending on which source that you read, and here is where I found some discrepancy, he either said he was too busy and couldn't fit it in his schedule, or... Sean Connery actually rejected the choice. Uh, Connery had complete creative control over this movie. He didn't just act in it and produce in it. He actually also wrote one of the early scripts, and he basically had final say on everybody from the lead actors to the composer to the T-boy, I think. He, He had final say on. So apparently, depending on which source you read, it could be that Connery actually rejected the choice of James Horner. And it's a bit of a shame. It would have been interesting to see what Horner could have done with it. 
The other thing is, because they had such a short time scale, they really needed somebody who was in London and could work with the musicians and the production folks in the UK. So uh, one person who was actually in London at the time and was just getting off finishing another major movie was the composer and songwriter Michel Legrand, probably best known as the Oscar-winning songwriter of the excellent Windmills of Your Mind from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And had actually also written one of my all-time favorite soundtracks. I think, in fact, it's the first non-John Barry soundtrack I ever went out and bought, which was for the big-budget action spy movie based on Alistair McLean's novel Ice Station Zebra. The Submarine Under the Arctic movie with Patrick McGowan. Love that movie. Love that soundtrack. To my mind, Michel Legrand sounded like a great choice. And in June 83, he was actually just finishing off working on Yentl, Barbara Streisand's Yentl, which, if I remember rightly, came up in the last Bond 6 of the best. There was a Yentl I want to say there was. Yeah. Yeah. There was some sort of Yentl connection. Yeah, there was a Yentl connection. Yentl is just everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Around this time, I guess so. 81, 83, everybody was working on Yentl. So apparently it was Barbara Streisand who suggested Michelle Legrand as a potential composer to Never Say Never Again's director Irving Kirshner. Apparently she and Irving Kirshner were friends and they were out for lunch and or dinner or something. And she suggested, why don't you talk to Michelle Legrand? He initially actually turned it down. He said he was burnt out and exhausted after working on Yentl. And this is where Connery actually stepped in. Apparently, he called Michel Legrand and persuaded him to take the gig. There is an, another little interesting Legrand-Connery-John Barry connection here. Apparently, Legrand and Connery knew each other from Connery's movie Robin and Marion. Michel Legrand had actually written the score for that movie, but it was rejected, and Legrand was replaced by a certain John Barry on Robin and Marion. So I don't know if Connery felt there was a bit of unfinished business there with Michel Legrand, but he called him and persuaded him to write the score for Never Say Never. So he scored the movie between June and July 1983 and said that he deliberately stayed away from anything that reflected John Barry. And I will say, boy, did he succeed with that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The soundtrack was recorded at Olympic Studios in August 1983. And apparently during which it was actually noticed that Legrand was not exactly on his top form or top of his game. And in fact, some of the cues were finished off by one of his collaborators, Armand Migiani. Um, I think I butchered that name correctly. So really, what we got here was somebody who didn't really want to do it in the first place, persuaded by Sean Connery to do it, and he was too tired and too exhausted, and somebody else helped him out, and he tried to stay away from John Barry. So unsurprisingly, neither the producers or the director were exactly thrilled with the result. As Kirshner said, the director, it wasn't the true James Bond score I had envisioned, quoting from him here, it just didn't work for me. Because they had such a short time frame, they couldn't redo it, they couldn't bring in another composer. So they moved a few things around, demanded that Legrand return to London for two weeks. He came back for one day to re-record a bit, and that was it. They just had to go with it. It was not particularly well received. Critics at the time called it a thin score. Personally, I just say it's a mess. Like I say, I love Legrand's work normally, but I'm not sure what was going on here. To me, it's just a modern jazz style that's totally mismatched for a Bond movie. And I actually find it often distracting if you actually listen back to our review episode. I mentioned it several times there. There's certain scenes where I just find the strident score very distracting and mismatched to what's actually happening on screen. One of the things I didn't know until we started doing the research for this episode, this is, as far as I know, the only Bond movie where there was no official soundtrack album released at the same time as the movie. In fact, it wasn't until 1995 that a CD was released in the UK, which included some of the cues that actually weren't used in the movie. So some of the cues that we'll be playing today are from that 1995 release that there was no official release. So it didn't get in the charts, uh, really disappeared. It's very quiet. And as a result, it's actually become very difficult to find a copy and it's getting pretty expensive to find a copy. One positive thing I will say about it is that thankfully, most of the music cues are really short. So you don't, <laughs> don't have to listen to it for too long. <laughs> so before we get on to the title song, Jared, any thoughts on the score overall, the impact of the score, your feelings about it? I think that I like it better than most people. I'm sure, I like it better than Alan does, <laughs> but it's still not John Barry. It's not Bill Conti. It's not Hamlish. It is so different. But I will say there are a handful of tracks that I do really like, and we will discuss those as we get into the tracks. I guess overall, I I guess a lot of lows to it, but there are a few highs that I really enjoy, and there's more than a few, so that makes me happy. But overall, it is a really weird mismatch. I think I cut it a lot of slack because Never Say Never Again is kind of a weird mismatch of a Bond movie in general, so I kind of allow it more than most, but... I totally understand people who just can't get past. I have a very good friend of mine who just hates 
Never Say Never Again because it doesn't have the music. He hates the music. It kills the whole movie for him. And I'm like, okay, I, I can understand that. I get why people aren't so big on it, although I do have some things that I'll, I'll pull later when we get to our tracks that I kind of like. It's no John Barry. It's no Marvin Hamish. It's no Bill Conti. For me, it's not even a Michel Legrand score. Like I said, you know, some of his earlier yeah. stuff I really, really love. And it's some of my favorite music, oh, movie Ice music. Station Zebra is great. Yeah. I think that's part of my also problem with this is it's it's not just that it's not a traditional Bond thing. It's not what I expect from that composer. So. Okay, I got a question for you personally, Alan. Okay. If Legrand was like, I've just too burned out to do this and just absolutely lifted the music from Ice Station Zebra and used that music, that exact music and never said ever again, would you like it better? Yeah, I think so too. (laughs) (laughs) There are actually a couple of stock footage shots from Ice Station Zebra in Never Say Never. The submarine shots in Never Say Never are from Ice Station Zebra. So I love it. (laughs) Yeah, he could have put the Ice Station Zebra score in there. I'd have been happy. Yes. So onto the title song. In its own way, a very memorable title song because (laughs) (laughs) it's a really nice way to put it. (laughs) Because nobody really likes it. So interestingly, Stephen Forsyth and Jim Ryan, a lyricist and songwriter, wrote what was actually intended to be the film's theme song. They were approached by the producers. They wrote a theme song. But then Michel Legrand actually pointed to his contract and threatened to sue because, according to his contract, he had the rights to produce the theme song. So the other one, which had actually been recorded by Phyllis Hyman, a singer called Phyllis Hyman. So if you want to listen to the full thing, it's in the playlist. And I think Jared's actually going to play a little slice of it right now. So because of contractual things, Legrand went off and uh, wrote his own version with lyrics by Marilyn and Alan Bergman, who, surprise, surprise, had also just finished working on Yentl. And surprise, surprise, were also recruited by a certain Sean Connery. Um, <laughs> oh. Producers approached Bonnie Tyler, the singer who was pretty much riding the top of the charts at the moment. And she was very excited to be asked to potentially be part of a Bond movie. Then she listened to the song. Wow, a James Bond theme, you know, and I was so excited to to be part of this, you know. And then I listened to it and I was kind really deflated, you know. There wasn't anything you could do with that song, I didn't think, you know. I, I, I really didn't like it. And I thought, well, it's going to stand out like a sore thumb for only one reason. It's an, a bit of a naff song, you know. So, as you may have just heard, Miss Tyler was not too enamoured of the song and passed on a suggestion. The songwriters, uh, Marilyn Allen Bergman, suggested Lanny Hall. She was married to Herb Albert, who wrote the excellent theme song for the 1967 version of Casino Royale. And apparently, he also played an impromptu solo version of the Never Say Never Again theme song in the closing credits. So, uh, kudos to Herb Albert there. He actually played in two unofficial Bond movie themes. So, cool. Casino Royale 67 is. Awesome. I love that song. I love that version. So Lanny Hall was seen as a really as a contrast to the Shirley Bassey sound. Again, 100% on that. Yes, she was a contrast to the Shirley Bassey sound. <laughs> contrast uh, to the Shirley Bassey sound is such a nice way to put things. <laughs> yeah. And the interesting thing is, even she said the song was tricky. It's a comp, and I'm quoting, it's a complicated song melodically. It's not the sort of song that you could really walk away humming. Yeah, she's 100% correct. Mm-hmm. So uh, the song was so well received, it did actually make the charts, and it peaked at a massive 103 in the US Billboard charts. So let's listen to Van Allen Plexico's favorite Bond theme song, Never Say Never Again from Lanny Hall. Never, never say never again. Never, never say never again.
So, Jared, what did you think of the song? Again, I think I'm kinder to it than most. I mean, if I had to rack it and stack it in with the rest of the official Bond songs, it wouldn't be terribly high. It would be bottom quarter easily, probably bottom three-ish. But it has a special place in my heart, much like we kind of talked about Free Eyes Only was the first song I called on the radio and, and had him play. When this song came out and All Time High came out, both in 83, this was that time when my brother and I would huddle around the radio for hours with a blank tape in there, just waiting for the song to come on record because we wanted to have the Bond song. So I have that fond memory of waiting by the tape recorder for this song number 103 in the United <laughs> States to get played. <laughs> and it did. And I recorded it and it made me very happy. So there's nostalgia involved. I like it for the nostalgia. When I go back and listen to it more objectively, Alani herself, I think, is right. It's just kind of a weavy, windy song. You don't walk away humming it. There's not a melody that really grabs you. The most memorable thing is the never, just that little never. And uh-huh. then it kind of repeats and it drives Van Plexico insane. And yeah, <laughs> and not like that. But anyway, that's my overall thoughts. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I will say just off air there, I just described it as a bit of an earworm. It is not quite as much as, say, Man with the Golden Gun, which stayed with me for like two months after we recorded the show. This one tends to stay with me for maybe, I don't know, 24, 48 hours. But it does have something. It doesn't have a melody, but it does have something that sticks in the mind for a period of time. So, yeah. The more research I've done about it and the fact that I've heard the people who are involved are not that keen on it, it sort of explains it a bit. I mean, even if Lanny Hall found it difficult, it sort of explains why it was done. And I don't think it's helped by the fact that the way it was used in the movie either. Right. Yeah, I don't think that helped it. All right. So I guess it's my turn to lead with my picks. So picking three from this was a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) But there are a couple of tracks on here I actually really do like, and there's one I picked because I just love the story behind it. So I guess it's time for me to unpack the rocket-powered motorcycle, strap myself to a missile, or take a leap off a castle wall on a horse, whichever you prefer. But whichever one we choose, it's time to dive into my three picks. And I'm actually going to lead off with Bahama Island, which is track number six on the soundtrack album. I just like the fun Caribbean feel. For me, it's the only track that makes me actually want to move and groove a bit. And I think it's really the only one that has what I would call a sustained melody throughout it. This is probably the only track on Never Say Never that actually makes me move a bit in my chair. Hit it.
one of the things I like about this is, is somebody who lives a couple of doors down from me, I don't know whether he either loves steel drum music or he actually has steel drums out in his backyard. But whenever they're out on the back, there's always <laughs> tracks with steel drums going. But he never plays this one. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. It just reminds me of summer evenings sitting out on the back of the house because I can hear the guy with the steel drums. It reminds me a bit of the Caribbean and it's got a nice melody and stuff. And it's nice and light. And it's completely different from anything else in the movie, I guess, as well. So that's the other reason I like it. But it's a good fun track. Jared, what do you think about it? Oh, I like it too. Uh, my wife and I are regular cruisers to the Caribbean and the Bahamas is a frequent stop, obviously, for us. And that's one of my favorite things about it is even though there's been a lot of change over time, there's still a lot of recognizable things you can see there from Never Say Never Again. I kind of made my own Never Say Never Again tour the last time I went down there. And every time I hear those guys you know, on the side of the road play these steel drums, I always think of this tune. So they did a really good job capturing the flavor of the Bahamas. And yep. you can't go wrong with that. Not been there yet, but it's on the to-visit list. Love to do Nassau and do all the Bond locations and stuff. So Cool. So for my second track, I'm going for my usual grim and menacing downbeat <laughs> with Plunder of a Nuclear Missile, which is uh, track eight. I really like the staccato beat in here. So the tension builds to them actually stealing the missile and stuff. Birmingham refers to it as a set of grim, chugging strings and angry brass. And uh, I think it's a really good description of this particular track. To me, it's one of the few tracks on here that actually sounds like it's from an epic action movie. It's probably the closest to the score, to the feel that he got in the multiply aforementioned Ice Station Zebra. So to me, this is the, the closest he gets to what I was thinking that we would get from Michel Legrand. So let's listen to Plunder of a Nuclear Missile. It's not an episode until we get an ominous Allen track. Thoughts on that one, Jared? I would have picked it for one of my three. You didn't <laughs> okay. pick it for one of yours. Yeah, it's really great. It definitely had a great tension builder for a tense moment in the film. So I think you're right. The closest we're going to get to Ice Station Zebra music and very effective. Cool. For my third track, I'm going for something completely different. A little uh, chanson d'amour. Very laid back French lounge song sort of thing you hear in a cafe on the streets of Paris and French nightclubs and stuff. The fun thing I find here, this was sung, they approached a Bulgarian singer called Sophie Della to do the job on the condition that she could sing it with a French accent. Why they couldn't find a French, <laughs> a native French <laughs> singer. I think I think there's one or two singers in France. Been, <laughs> even in 1983, there might have been a couple of people, you know, in France who could sing. I don't know. Possibly. Possibly. But no, we'll go to Bulgaria and then say she has to sing it with a French accent because that seems totally logical. So the poor girl spent a whole week practicing this song to sing it in a French accent. I think she actually really nailed it. And then they only used the instrumental midsection in the movie as background for Bond's arrival in Nice for the South of France feel. And then you can hear some of the vocal as source music in the background when you get the scene of 
Bond and Domino at the spa. So the poor girl got the job, worked her heart out for a week, and then they didn't use it in the movie. So I feel sorry for her. So I like to listen to the full track whenever I get the opportunity with the soundtrack. So uh, let's listen to Sophie Della practicing her French accent with Une Chanson d'Amour. Une chanson d'amour qui court les rues et les faubourgs, un petit peu triste, un petit peu joie, tout comme moi. Une chanson de toujours, un air qui flanoche à beaubourg, un petit peu cloche, un petit peu roi, tout comme toi. Une chanson pour Margot, une Un cœur tatoué sur le bras, tout comme toi. I think she did a great job, and I just feel really sorry for her. So I think she deserves all the airplay she can get for all the hard work that she put in. What do you rate, Jared? 
I, I have to agree with you. Although I will say that from the moment I saw the title of the track, I knew which song it was because I remember the French vocals from the spa. So at least it's like immediately recognizable. I mean, the second you hear it, you're like, oh, it's the spa scene. And so at least she has that going for her. She will always be known as the spa scene lady. But <laughs> yeah, they didn't use it to its fullest effect. And she did a great job. All right. It's time for me to turn the, uh, the Wheel of Fortune over to Jared for his picks. Well, I guess it is my turn to tango. I hope you find all three of my selections to be sweet, like money. Track number one of my picks. It's actually track three on the soundtrack. It's called Prologue Enter 007. This is a nice laid back piece that I immediately identify with this film every time I hear it. And I'm quite fond of it. And now I'll play it. That was short. And no, I did not edit that one bit. <laughs> it is a very short cue, but I just, I love it. It's something about it just says, never say never again. Bond, 1983 to me. Before you give me your thoughts, I have a direct question for you, Alan. You've told us on the show before that a friend of yours made a CD for you or a playlist for you called, what, An Evening with Bond or something like that? Yeah, Bond at Night, Being Evening with Bond. I can't- it's upstairs. I can't remember the exact title, but yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's all those sort of laid back loungy tracks. Is the song? Yeah, I believe it is. I, mean, nice. I, I can I can run upstairs and grab it and check if you want. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I think okay. it'd be like a great track to be like the initial track to sort of an intro and then go to the other ones. If it's not on there, it certainly should be. Yeah. Uh, for me, yeah, it's a very loungy Bond track. Yeah, it is one of the few tracks that really does invoke this movie and invokes Bond as well. It yeah. is a very Bond-like track, so yeah. But really, that must be the record for the shortest track I think we've played on this show, isn't it? <laughs> I'm always afraid to comment about the shortest or the longest because I'm always like, this is got to be the shortest soundtrack. Remember that? Where each yeah. soundtrack just kept getting shorter and I kept being more wrong with each subsequent episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said, I think this I, is. Yeah, yeah, little qualifiers. I like yeah. it. Well, awesome. Let's get into my second pick, which is track 11. It's called Fight to the Death with Tiger Sharks. Pretty descriptive. So, you know, you got to ask yourself, is this kind of a Jaws-ish ripoff? Yes. Is that what I want in my shark attack music? Yes. <laughs> so let's give that a listen.
I mean, it was ominous in some ways. <laughs> yeah, they have to be the sexiest, sleaziest saxophone playing sharks. <laughs> well, at the begin, the first part is when they're <laughs> on the boat doing what they do, and um, then the sharks show up. Yeah, but after the sharks show up, yeah, it is very jaws like with a da 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 da, but. <laughs> It fits. That's actually a pretty good scene in the movie. I quite like that. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I think it's well done. And for once, the music actually does fit the on-screen action, I think, there. So, mm. yeah, it's it's a good track. It just seems strange to me that when they actually put it on the album and they cut it, that they included the sexy sex stuff <laughs> on the front and called it Shark Attack. I mean, or that fight to death with tiger sharks. It doesn't, yeah. It was a pretty sexy fight. I, I, I think they could have edited it a little better, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I concur. I concur. Well, let's get to my third and final pick. And I don't think you can do a soundtrack show about Never Say Never Again without including this track. It is Tango to the Death, track number 15. I think it's definitely one of the most memorable music tracks from the film. And strangely enough, I was thinking about this, Alan, as I wrote this down. This is one of the few times that we see... 007 dance it's sort of a trope that james bond is a smooth dancer you even see him riff on it in the outstanding film true lies which has a lot of bond homages and he does the tango dance in true lies and you actually brought that up well not specifically that example but with your review of never seen ever again with van you brought up how this i think the term you used was informed it informed bond movies of the future I yeah. think it somewhat informed True Lies that this tango scene really kind of carried over into True Lies. And so anyway, going back to my original question, I can't think outside of Thunderball, another time we see James Bond dance. I wonder if you got anything on that. Off the top of my head, no, I think you're right. I think it's Thunderball <laughs> and this. I think it is. I can't think of another one. We reserve the right to be wrong if we if we are. Shout out in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. But uh, And we frequently are. Um, yeah. 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 But, that's what no, we do. No. I'm going to be thinking about that one now. No, yeah, I think you're right. Well, while you think about it, let's listen to this track. So I actually just did a quick search and I found a article called Bond on the Dance Floor. What? Yeah. It looks like it was just this one and Thunderball. Interesting that it's, I think if you ask the layperson about Bond and dancing, they say, oh, he's a, you know, obviously a fantastic ballroom dancer. And we've really only seen that fantastic <laughs> oh. ballroom dancing and never seen it ever again. Sure somebody will let us know. Yeah, they'll let us know. <laughs> 
Yeah. What did you think of the track? One of the interesting things I found about this track, which I didn't know until we were doing the research for this episode, was that, as I said at the beginning, they actually didn't hire a composer until after they'd finished actually making the movie. So when they made, recorded this scene and actually acted this scene out, they didn't have this track to dance to. So actually what happened was that they played a generic tango and they filmed the scene and then Michelle Legrand actually scored this track to the visuals of them and their moves, which is why it fits so perfectly because it's not them dancing to the music. It's actually the music being scored to them dancing. Ah, That does create a very powerful, memorable effect. Which is why it works so well. But I did not know that until I was doing the research for this. Um, Excellent. Yeah, and as you say, to me, that dance and the inane, unfeeling comment in the middle of it from connery <laughs> your brother's dead keep dancing um <laughs> bond is most douchebag um <laughs> i think it's the is is the quintessential scene of this movie and let's face it you know if you're going to watch kim basinger in a movie seeing her dance and move across the dance floor is pretty much going to make the movie so yeah it's good 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 times <laughs> So, yeah, I, I actually do enjoy this track. And now I know a little bit of the history behind it. I think it's quite interesting. They actually did score it to the actor's moves rather than the other way around. That is interesting. And that's the end of my three picks. Cool. So uh, now we've picked our six of the best. It's time to get a little funky with this month's bonus track. So I found something that is called an Avanar remix. I have no idea what that is. I'm sure one of you hip kids out there may be able to explain it to me, but I have literally no idea what an Avanar remix is. But apparently this is one. It was created by an artist called Eve Kincaid. And this is her Avenal remix of Never Say Never Again.
So what do you make of that, Jared? That was interesting. I would say the word I would use would be ambitious. Yeah, I think it's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Basically, Eve Kincaid took one of the more difficult, less melodic songs and tried to do something with it. And I like it. I like what she did. It's not the easiest song in the world to bring a techno beat into. Given the pieces and parts that she had, I not bad. Yeah, I think you're right. It is one of the songs where there is actually very few cover versions. I'm sure you had a hard time finding (laughs) cover versions. I did, yeah. What I did not have a hard time finding was songs that are named Never Say Never. There are so many different songs with the title Never Say Never. Um, A lot of a lot a lot of country songs called Never Say Never. (laughs) Well, what's interesting is apparently 1983 is just sort of a black hole for cover versions because remember last episode I had All Time High and also. Not many cover versions. Cover versions. So, so interesting. Eve Kincaid, if you actually want to look up, she actually also did an a cappella version of Never Say Never, which is actually pretty cool. Though it's so echoey, it does sound a bit like she recorded it in her bathroom. But, uh, <laughs> but again, another ambitious, interesting take on this song, trying to do uh, an a, or doing an a cappella version. So, if you want to hear how others tackled this one, I just mentioned there is actually not that many out of there but we do have different takes on the bond theme uh, we've put together the playlist of covers on youtube i've also included what i found is 17 minutes of an unofficial rescore of the movie that was titled warhead relaunched warhead was one of the original working titles of never say never so somebody actually tried to rescore the movie and little snippets of their rescore are available on YouTube, and I've uh, included a 17-minute selection of that rescoring of the movie, again, because there isn't that many cover versions of the song. So we have to put something on a playlist. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I find it, it's actually interesting, again, that somebody attempted to rescore the movie on their own and did a pretty good job, I think. So I think that brings us to the end of the bonus track and a little commentary about what you can find in the playlist. And again, the playlist link will be in the show notes. Excellent. That brings us to the end of this episode's Bond Music, Six of the Best. Got a question or a comment? You can email us at ohmspod at outlook.com or comment on Twitter at ohmspod. And don't forget to subscribe to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you could leave us a rating and a review, that would be great too. Or if you'd like to chat with us personally on social media, I can be found at Yard Sale Artist. That is Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's all at Yard Sale Artist. Alan? And for Bond stuff, you can find me on Twitter at Bond Lexicon or on Instagram and Tumblr at James Bond Lexicon. And as always, we'll pass the baton to our White Rocket founder and OHMS pod co-host, Van Allen Plexico, to thank our generous patrons who support all of our White Rocket endeavors. And we have to pause here for just a second. We have to thank the folks who keep our programs on the air across our entire White Rocket Entertainment Network. For as little as a dollar a month, you can join their ranks. Just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net. You will find their links to everything that the White Rocket Entertainment Network does, from books and comic books to podcasts about James Bond, about sports, and all the entertainment shows that we do here on the White Rocket Podcast and all the other things that I'm involved in. And you also will find a great big link that goes to the Patreon page, and you can join it, and there are a number of benefits you get for being a member. But mainly, you know that you're keeping our show going and keeping all of our shows on the network going for the foreseeable future. So for as little as a dollar a month, that we certainly appreciate more, you can be part of the White Rocket family and know that all of us here, and I especially appreciate you very much, our current Supporters include Matthew Flowers, Carl Von Drunker, Samuel Salvatore, and Christopher Burleson, along with Phil Amthor, Ben Spooner, William Glenn Matthews, Gary Grant, Wynn Carroll, Brian Gray, Winston Boddy, Willie Carden, Tom Anderson, Susan Trawick, Logan Chilton, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Steve Trawick, and Richard Stevens. We also have Clinton and Christopher Stewart, Mickey B., William Morgan, Phil Davis, Joshua Corbett, John Otsuki, Preston Settle, Daniel Odom, A.U. Falling Up, Alchemist Kevin Smith, Clarence Alford, Will Summerford, David Hegler, Johnny Caldwell, Theodore Gary, Reynolds Wolf, Joel Beckham, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, John McCune, David Evers, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, 
Hugh Anderson, Blake Heron, Steve Houston, Cato the Barner, Danny Flack, Papa Todd, Russell Milling, Kevin Canoy, Don Ziederman, Ross, Lane Middleton, Shannon Butson, Randall Walker, Shane Bailey, Mick Vigicana, Chris Thrash, Tony Perry, Alex Nguyen, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, and C.T. Wayne. And finally, we have Jeremy Minton, Wardam Wade, Spanky, J.W. Rice, Jason Albrick, Russell Souther, Paul Bankson, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, Kevin Mahan, Stephen Wyatt, Trevor Johnson, Auburn Elvis, Robert Drain, Brandon Smith, Royce Alvarez, Thomas Brinson, David Smiley, Matthew Wagstaff, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, Darren Pyle. We're almost to the end, but we appreciate all you guys. Chris Camo, Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Rob Morgan, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Joseph Miller, Mark Squire, Chris, Brent Rumble, plus our great Surfer Chickify and our anonymous and occasional and one-time donors. We appreciate all of you so much. Just go to www.plexico.net to sign up. Okay, thanks for joining us for this episode. Uh, today's tracks are actually from Jared's copy of the CD soundtrack, because as I mentioned earlier, suddenly it's got really expensive and I'm too much of a cheapskate to pay 60 to a hundred dollars for a copy. So. <laughs> I think this is partially our fault because I bought my copy for like 10 or 15 bucks when we started the show with Raymond. Cause I thought, well, we're probably going to get there eventually. We'll probably do it. Then when we went back to get you a copy, when we knew we were going to do it, like prices have skyrocketed. So I think this show has just driven up interest in bond music. That's what Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're right. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, as always, we'd like to remind you to legally purchase your Bond music via official download channels or via CD or vinyl. Please support the Bond creative community. And we will be back with six of the best from A View to a Kill. Yeah, I'm sure I'll bring it up, but that was my first official Bond album on cassette. You love your cassettes, don't you? I, I, <laughs> it's 1985. <laughs> You know, the idea is to read the script for at least once through before you do the oh, well, I didn't know you made this change. Up here. <laughs> I don't think it was there a week ago. It was. It was there right from the beginning. Oh, then I'm, as usual, full of shit. All right. Yeah, I'll yeah. Start here we go. That part I did read before I saw it. <laughs> um, and this is where Kennery, Connery, what's his name? Sean Kennery? Sean, yeah, Sean Kennery. Sean Kennery. That's Sean Kennery. <laughs> We'll do that one again. No French singer could have possibly done this. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Quick break in, Alan. Uh, just found out that your brother's dead. Keep listening.